The purpose of Retire with Style is to help you discover the retirement income plan that is right for you. The first step is to discover your retirement income personality. Start by going to resaprofile.com style and sign up to take the industry's first financial personality tool for retirement planning. Have you ever wondered how toilets in the stock market are related? Well, too bad. You're going to find out in a few minutes. <laughs> hey, everyone. Welcome to Retire With Style. I'm Alex. I'm here with Wade Fowl and our very special <laughs> guest. <laughs> oh, is that, is that him? Is that him? I don't know. Alex. Yes. Bob French. <laughs> <laughs> I hear him in the background. Yeah, 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 hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. That That's forced right. laughter. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, everyone! Thank you for joining us today. Today marks the start of a of a journey of sorts. Now, today marks the start of a, a new arc we really want to get to, uh, and it's really about investing, the financial markets, investing soup to nuts. Why do we want to do this? We realized as we started going over the you know, the outline for the show, even from the very beginning and the like, we, we Wade and I were looking at each other and, and Bob as well. He's always looking at us. And with we judgment. were always with and we were thinking, <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. And, and we were thinking, you know, the, the investments really touches upon everything. There's always a place for investments. And if you know anything about us is we really like to drill down on these topics. And so we thought before we get into the you know we did the total return quadrant and we talked about that but we also started thinking man there's a you know at the end of the day the, the, a lot of these assumptions have to do with investments and capital markets and things like that and before we got into risk wrap before we got into income protection before we got into time segmentation which again everything touches investments we really wanted to just open up the kimono a little bit and just discuss the financial markets okay and the reason is because i i think even though everyone knows that we need to be invested I, I, we're not sure that folks have this true understanding of what the financial markets really are, how they work, what the purpose is. And, you know, I'm going to throw some of my friends under the bus if they're listening. There are a few of them, so don't worry about it. Uh, but it, it's they sort of ask me, hey, uh, what do you think about this stock? What do you think about that stock? And and look, it's gone up. And they give me some sort of reason why it's a good stock. And then, I, you know, there's, you, you know, you kind of appease them a little bit. But there, you you want them you kind of want to take them aside and and sort of say hey man this is really how it should be done et cetera et cetera but you know you come across like the wet blanket if you do that over and over again so really I, I think it's worth going over what are the financial markets in in its in its one on one level and I think this will appeal to a broad audience not just the uninitiated of sorts that you know kind of like that Woody Allen movie everything. You know, you want to know about sex, but we're afraid to ask. This is everything you want to know about the financial markets, but we're afraid to ask. Let's just go over it. But I think even for advisors, I, I, I think there's a there's a level sometimes where they're too far removed. And sometimes from a communication with their client standpoint, I, I think it's helpful to know some of the stuff we're, we're going to cover. Now, the last point I'd like to make before we get going here, Bob, and I told you I was going to hold off because I wanted to 
get your take on it. You know, uh, and I heard this. It, it, it's a way to you know. There's just because you're emotional about a concept and you have very strong convictions about a concept doesn't really mean that you know how it un- its underlying function, how it truly, truly functions. You think you do, but then you're like, oh, I'm not so sure. And putting my psychology hat on a, a, a kind of a quick test that you would do sometimes is just I'll ask you, Bob, do you know what a toilet is? I, I do know what a toilet is. Do you know how it works? Relatively well. I, I know the basic. Okay. All right. All right. How does it work? Uh, <laughs> From soup to nuts, how does it work? Well, I've got a new one sitting in my my garage. I have to replace one. Uh, I live up in Maine, and, and with all the cold weather, it actually cracked my daughter's toilets in their bathroom. Uh, so I've got to go in and replace it this weekend. So I will know a lot better uh, in the coming days. But it works through through suction, and, you know, it's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You've, you've made your point here, Alex. <laughs> I don't know. No, but I don't know either. You know, I, I don't have a clue, right? Wait. Uh, well, well, we have we have stumped the chumps finally. Wait. <laughs> I've had to fix a few toilets. I don't know if I know what all the parts are called, but I have got the basics down in terms of when you yeah. push down on the handle, it lifts up this, yeah. maybe it's called the flapper. I'm not sure. That allows the water to go through. And then when that flapper comes back down, water comes back in, and you've got that other device in there that once the water reaches a certain level, so it stops more water from coming in. And and that's the idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Is that an A-plus answer, a B answer? Because also, how does the plumbing then, how does the yeah, plumbing we, then we end up the easy in uh, part you know, here? So. <laughs> how did the centrifugal the forest and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. No, I mean, the, the larger point is, I mean, maybe we kind of know, but not really, you know, in, in terms of, you know, we didn't get up. There's no, maybe there's a plumber listening saying, oh, this boy, this guy's got talent, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> the reality is it's it's probably, that's just the gist of what we know. And so, again, we use it every day, right? And so the financial markets, it's really, I, the, my buddies that talk about stocks all the time, uh, you know, I really, I kind of want to ask them, how does, how do the markets work? No, really, how? I'll wait. <laughs> you know, go ahead, right? And so I, I think this is a good time to really unpack this. And, you know, we've done a couple of courses on this, on uh, re- retirement research, or where they, they've been fairly successful and people love them. And so, Bob, you're, you're kind of the, the architect of, of, of this. So why don't you lead us about, you know, what are some of the main points we want to talk about yeah. today? And then, you know, Wade and I will... Pepper with comments, like always. Yeah, no, I think like what you said, Alex, is is it's really, really important to to start from the very, very basics of just what it is that's that's actually happening here. Because a lot of times people get thrown into relatively abstract conversations, and those are the only conversations they know about the market. But that abstraction is really, really helpful. On a day-to-day level, but it elides a lot of what's really going on and why things work the way that they do. So let's let's start with the really basic question: What are financial markets? Uh, and Alex, I'll turn this one around on you. You know what? What are <laughs> financial markets here, Alex? 
Well, like any good uh, math student, I will answer that as no solution. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll go with that. Uh, no, really. <laughs> the answer. That, that's such a no, no, okay. no. I'll answer it. That, but that's such an easy. That's such an easy question. I'm gonna let Wade answer it. <laughs> <laughs> well, all Bob's notes say is that you hear about them all the time. So I don't know what to say. But uh, you know, ultimately. You got to bring together yep. buyers and sellers, right? I mean, yeah, that's this a big a part question, of question, guys. It's they're marketing at. As Wade said, it's just people coming together and buying and selling financial securities. At, at, yeah, at the end of the day, the word market is there for a reason, and uh, the distinction here is, you know, there's there's not a you know man, money just doesn't happen you know and it's it's effectively yeah you have a buyer and a seller and it's different from a supermarket although you know we'll leave it at that we'll there's, a, there's that an engineering component to that but yeah it will come back to that one yeah yeah <laughs> that's a good point but the word market is there for a reason it's not called the stock arena it's not called the stock or, pit although you know for some people maybe but you know it's a stock market where you're bringing together a group of buyers and sellers to effectively agree to some extent, although it starts from disagreement, to agree on some sort of price, right? And we can talk about what they're agreeing on and so forth. But you're you're effectively doing that within the stock market and you're effectively doing that within yeah. the bond market. So it's effectively an auction place. Think of it as an yeah. – I think that's a good it, word, that's right, Bob? literally what it to start is, off yeah. With. Think, yeah. Think of it as an auction place for the right to buy a sliver, as you like to say, Bob, of a security. Yep. Yeah, and that kind of brings me to the next question of, you know, stocks and bonds. I mean, one of the really crucial things that I think people on the stock side intellectually know, but they don't really internalize, is that stocks are just, as Alex said, little slivers of ownership in a company. When you buy a share of, of Amazon, you own an infinitesimal percentage of how of Amazon you own, you know, that 0. 0.00 something percent of Amazon. You have a claim on the cash flows from Amazon in the form of, of dividends. I, I want to say that's a very important phrase that you hear a lot of. Well, you hear it with, you know, teachers use it a lot. You have a claim on, you have a claim on. I, I think that's a very, very important phrase because it instills this ownership, you know, unlike buying, a house where you can touch, you know, effectively owning stocks or bonds to some extent, especially I don't think stock certificates gave you all that closure to touch something, but you have this right to that equity. Yeah, yeah you are a partial owner. So you technically have, all, again, with Amazon, you technically have all of the same rights as Jeff Bezos. He's got a lot more of those shares, but every share by and large, um, you know, is exactly the same. Bonds, it's even oh, – Alex, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, no, no, finish yeah. with the bonds. I'll, yeah, I'll, bonds I'll, I'll are, are even simpler. Bonds are just a loan. When a company or a government issues a bond, they're taking a loan from investors. They're going out and saying, hey, I want to borrow this money uh, and I will pay you – 3% interest in the form of these coupons every six months. And at the end of 10 years or whatever it is, I'll give you your money back. That's literally all it is. 
you know, people get really kind of esoteric and go way down into the weeds on especially bonds. But they're like the simplest financial instrument out there. Um, it's literally you give the company money now and they promise to give you back that money and more in the future. That's it. Uh, or, government. or government. Yes. And, and just and the there's secondary the secondary market. market, yeah. so you're not committed to holding on to it the whole time. Yeah. You can sell <laughs> that loan that you've made to someone else so that they became entitled Absolutely. to remaining and, and payments. And we can actually close the loop on going back to stocks about kind of why, um, you know, coming back to that secondary and primary market that you talked about. Well, before before that one, Bob, before the secondary, because I think that that's good later, sure. later on. I, I still want to cover one the, the piece about the logistics yeah. on the auction. Again, I think that's important where, okay, there's a magical auction place, but unlike there's no like store manager or, or the head of the dairy department or something like that that's managing that store, how does it work within the within the yeah. auction? You know, How does it work on the floor of the exchange? Because I think you hear a lot lately, probably a few years ago, the sort of the high <laughs> frequency traders and, you know, you can't do anything because they're – selling millions of dollars or, you know, recently, oh, the market maker, Citadel, yeah. the market maker, you know, yeah, let's, that kind of thing. Talk about that dynamic so, a little yeah, bit. I definitely want to talk about high frequency traders, but let's let's put them off to the side a little bit. So getting back to just the normal operations of a financial market, you know, I think most people have seen pictures of the pit at the New York Stock Exchange, so that really big room with like some pillars going up there that you've probably seen. Um. That was where stocks got traded for a very long time. They moved over basically all to computers now, um, but it's a really easy way to think about it. So that room was so big because there was someone for almost every security, um, someone called a market maker. And literally, they were holding an auction on all of on each individual stock. And there was just this massive pool of people around them all basically yelling prices back and forth. And they are facilitating buyers finding sellers and sellers finding buyers and kind of collecting all of that information so that people kind of knew, well, where the market is. What is the going rate on a share of Ford or Tesla or pick your company? Um, you know, that was the whole idea. You get all of these people in a room together and let them hash it out. Um, let them kind of figure out where where it lies. Now, moving over to the the high frequency traders, um, you know, there's a lot of well, as Alex says, kind of a couple of years ago, we heard a lot about these folks. Um, almost all of it bad, but if you're a long term investor, which most people who are listening to this probably are, they are an unalloyed good for you. Um, they are out there buying and selling constantly because they think they found these tiny little imperfections in the prices and they're trying to capitalize on that. Well, what do we say? Unalloyed, unalloyed good? good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Wait, I, th I, th I swear to God, I thought he was going to use the word platonic <laughs> at some point. <laughs> I'm, I'm, st I'm still you know, waiting Alex, for that. You're one. saying that because that's literally in the outline I put together here. So, <laughs> Either that or I just know you don't read the outlines I put together. One or the other. 
<laughs> but but no, I mean it's there are high frequency <laughs> traders are out there doing what they're doing and they're trying to you know, whether they succeed or not, they're trying to find these tiny little imperfections they can kind of pick up. Now, if I'm out there trying to day trade against them, assuming that there's some validity to what they're doing, I'm going to get killed. But if I'm a long-term investor, I don't care about those second-by-second price changes. What I care about is the fact that they're buying and selling so much that there is so much more liquidity in the market. It's a lot easier for me as a long-term investor if I need to go in, well, shoot, I got my, you know, I got my paycheck. I'm going to go in and invest my 401k contribution. Now it's cheaper to buy those stocks. Or if I'm someone who is going to be, you know, taking money out in retirement, I'm going to be selling. Well, now it's a lot easier to sell. There's a lot more people looking to buy this stuff. Um, so it's just making my life as a long-term investor just a little bit easier. Um, so it's really, really easy to kind of demonize them. And, you know, they certainly make it very easy a lot of the time. Uh, but in terms of market operations, it's a good thing for long-term people. I agree. Uh, and that I think that transitions nicely, right? Uh, just off the top of my head. <laughs> No, but that that they serve as a you know it it, it helps with the eventual price exactly. discovery of all of this. Would you say exactly? And you know, one thing that's that's worth pointing out is just how massive these financial markets are. So you know, you have these again. This is a few years back. They're still out there, but they're not as big of a story anymore. But the high frequency traders they're buying and selling a ton. But the overall size of the financial markets is just truly staggering uh, to the point that, you know, they're not having such a massive impact. So to put some numbers around it, at the end of last year, at the end of 2022, the market caps, the valuation, the value of all of the stocks in the global stock market was 62, was about a little more than $62 trillion dollars. And when we start getting numbers that big, it's really, really hard to just conceptualize what that means. You know, another way of saying it is... That's 50 Teslas. Right. That's 50 Teslas. Uh, the 47 Teslas there. So, <laughs> oh, sorry, uh, sorry. No, I mean, it, just putting it a different way, it's $62 million, million. So, I mean, it's just phenomenally big. And it's important to remember the global stock market is significantly smaller than the global bond market. The global bond market dwarfs. Yeah, it's not even dwarfs close. Dwarfs the stock markets. I don't have the numbers in front of me for for right now, but a few years back, this bond market, the global bond market, was more than twice the size of the global stock market. I don't know if that's still true, but it's going to be on that order of magnitude type of frame. If you're looking for more personal advice, please note that our show is sponsored by McLean Asset Management. Learn more at McLeanAM.com. That's M-C-L-E-A-N-A-M.com. McLean Asset Management is a wealth management firm where we help you design and implement the right retirement plan for you. 
And it's probably worth commenting a little bit on how does a company decide if if they need to raise funds? Do they sell themselves in the stock market and give away ownership shares or do they borrow yeah, through the so bond market? Like, that's just that's from the investor's perspective too. Like no, that's, what is the difference between yeah. a stock and a bond? That's a great question. That 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 leads to why there that 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 actual another way of asking that question, which is right, is that's why that's yeah, why, why there is why a stock is market what, at, at what the end this? of the day. Yeah. Why is there even a yeah, stock market? So, um, yeah. So like I said, there's there's really two ways that companies are interacting here. So they can issue stock or they can issue a bond. So bonds, again, real straightforward. They're going to the market and saying, hey, I want to borrow some money. And I want to borrow it on these terms. Um, and here we go. Stocks um, is both at the same time even simpler, but a little bit more complicated. Because when we think about going to the stock market and investing, we're thinking about the secondary market. So what that means is I'm buying, you know, Apple from Alex. Alex owned a share of Apple, and I go to him and I buy. I'll never sell, Bob. Never sell. <laughs> Diamond hands. <laughs> I think I think differently. That's right. um, but I'm buying from Alex. In that case, Apple has literally nothing to do with the transaction. They don't get any money. Um, I can just I now have the right to show up at their you know their shareholder meeting and try and kick out Tim Cook if I really want to. Um, so, or if it's Berkshire Hathaway, I get to go and show up to Omaha for a party once a year, basically. Um, where the I mean, I can see why you would want to kick out Tim Cook. I mean, why would you put glass walls everywhere? <laughs> um, but where the companies come into play is what are called initial public offerings, um, or well, the big one is initial public offerings or IPOs. And I'm, if you're listening to this again, you probably have heard that term. Bob, but even with that, I think with what Wade was saying, and I think I want to okay. set this up. I hope you don't mind. And, and this is part of having three of us here, and I get it. But I think it's important, especially when we talk down the line on premiums. I, I want to make this point because I think it's very important, and Wade said it, And is, okay, so I'm a right. company, retirement researcher, McLean, let's say the RISA, right? We're a company, right? And we're right now, Wade and I, Bob is part of the RISA. We're running this. And it's, you know, it's effectively a startup right now, right? And let's say we start growing. We start getting this interest in this. Wow, I love the RISA. Let's do it. You know, let's let's back it up. You know, I can just use the revenues from the RISA and use it to fund yep. my growth. You know, Wade and I pay, pay each other less and we use it to fund growth, right? That's one way of funding future growth or making sure we can pay our bills. Another way is let's say we have these growth plans, but the revenue doesn't match. What do we do, right? There's no money tree. So Wade and I can borrow from the bank right now. We take a small business loan, borrow from the bank. We have our own personal credit and we're good, right? The bank funds us and, and we, we go about doing our things. Or I have a rich uncle. No, let's go. I have a rich uncle. I borrow from a rich uncle. Dean, if you're listening. No, I borrow from a rich uncle. <laughs> and, and and there we go, right? You know, I, you know, problem solved, right? Good luck, Dean. Uh, the other one is I borrow from a pool of investors. I borrow from a pool of investors. You know, we create a syndicate. We borrow $5 million. 
we attach a, an interest rate to it. That interest rate is going to be different than the bank because of certain risks, and we'll get to that later. But it's done. You know, I'm in the bond market now, right? Or the stock market now. Why would you even do an IPO? And mm-hmm. I think this is important because some folks are like, you know, you know, let's say I borrowed internally and those people want to get back or some people invested and they want to get that money back or I still need to fund these growth yep. plans, right? But I've exhausted. It makes it doesn't make capital sense for me to borrow from a bank. It doesn't make capital sense to issue bonds. And so what I do is I, I, I'm I going to put to the stock market, I'm going to put in the open market 30% of my company. I'm going to sell 30% of my company in an initial round, not the secondary round, which Bob was talking about, in an initial round. So I get investment bankers or you know now they're doing things differently. But let's just say traditionally, I get a bunch of folks. They help me sell that into the open market. I Let's say I value the RISA at $100 million. We want to raise $30 million. We sell $30 million of our company. Hopefully, we get $30 million back. Or more, who knows? You know, but I've, I've cut it at thirty percent. Maybe you know that number can fluctuate, and we'll talk about that later when we're talking about premiums, if you will. But effectively, I've sold myself in the open market in the initial public offering. I've gotten back hypothetically the thirty million dollars. The company I, I own, we all in aggregate before the offering have thirty percent less now because that's how much we get. Hopefully, you know, it, it could change yeah. in the in the fringes there, depending on the price discovery of that, but. That's what I'm hoping for, right? And there's money in my hands that I can now pay back early investors. I can pay back loans that they're knocking on my door for, or I can use it to fund future growth. That's why ultimately somebody goes to the stock market, you know, relative to borrowing from the bank, using revenues to fund growth, having a friends and family round, or, you know, doing it in the open bond market, if you will. Bob, did I miss no, anything? No, that's, that's actually exactly what's going on. And, and that part there that a company is only going to go and raise money for a reason is really important for people to understand. Because when I talk to people, a lot of the time people seem to think that just because a company is a big company, whatever that happens to mean, um, yeah, exactly. they can they, – it's obviously going to be on the stock market. Yeah, a lot of them probably are because they've had to raise money at some point in time to fuel future growth. But they don't have to. There are some really, really big companies that are privately held, that are not publicly traded. Um, and you know, after 2008, a lot of publicly traded companies decided they didn't want to be publicly traded anymore. So they went private. They went out to the market and bought back all of the shares um, that were outstanding or a big, big proportion of the shares that were outstanding and, and took it private again. Um, you know, So it's something that a company is actively choosing to do for a very specific reason. But, but the key here is that it's all a form yes. of financing. It's all a form of financing. I, I'm saying that twice for emphasis. It's all a form. No, it, it, that's the key. I mean, like I said, if you don't need the financing, you don't need to go public, right? You can borrow, you know, through various avenues. So it, it's just a form of financing, and you can make the case it's the riskiest to some mm-hmm. extent because of the ownership exchange, and because also as an investor, 
it, it's a different kind of bet. Hence, you know, you can get into why there's a premium going yeah. forward, et cetera, et cetera. The other piece, though, you said secondary market, and you're right. Apple now, once Apple goes public, three days later, there's there's open shares changing hands. Talk about what happened recently with AMC and GameStop, because these companies themselves become active mm-hmm. participants. Absolutely. So there's a lot to talk about with AMC and GameStop and the whole meme stock ecosystem at the well spare us your 10 bagger spare us your 10 bagger story and just get to <laughs> well, the I think where <laughs> the you're driving at here is <laughs> what what part are you driving at actually alex there's a lot going on involved uh all right i it, specifically more the companies themselves recognize oh, yeah. okay there's a it's a form of financing yeah. it's a form of financing so all of a sudden the right. stock so shoots all up. of a sudden the stock shot up um you know after that whole kerfuffle um, and what these kerfuffle? Wait, right. did you hear that one? Kerfuffle. This- <laughs> I'm gonna tell my kids to listen to it. They, they just did their PSATs, and I'm saying you gotta you gotta listen to retire with style. Bob is just throwing out some right. gems today. This is what happens when you. Uh, when well, in that case, he helped keep the E rating off of the podcast using that word instead of some other possibilities. <laughs> yeah. So thank so, you, Bob. Yes, so thank you, Bob. What we're talking about is Alex would have no I, towards the. Wait, I would have wait, wait. I would have caused an imbroglio. Imbroglio. <laughs> so towards the height of you know when these companies got really, really highly priced, um, these a lot of the companies went out and issued more shares because effectively what they could do is they could go in and say, you know, basically get a higher price for that little piece of ownership. You know, they can go out and issue, you know, give the market Five percent more. I have no idea what the numbers were um, off the top of my head, but they could sell five percent more of the company and bring in just a whole bunch of more money um, than they would have, say, six months prior. And this is actually pretty common when you see a really big run up in a stock price, um, especially if the insiders, the managers, and you know the large shareholders don't think it's really tied to the true value of the company. Um, they're going to go out and try and take advantage of that. They're going to try and issue more shares so they have more money uh, and they don't have to pay as much in terms of ownership as they might have otherwise. Uh, yeah, so uh, think about this. So a- AMC go- was, I don't know, whatever, trading at 10, let's say. All of a sudden it goes to $80 a share, Right. The those those the people the executives, regardless of why, and it was this whole sort of meme trading, et cetera, et cetera. Regardless of why, the executives are like, "That's the open market price. I'm gonna I'm gonna flood the market with shares, new shares, not existing shares. It's like a exactly. new offer. It, it is a new offer. And what yeah. they effectively did, yeah, what they effectively, I, I don't know for how much or whatever, but let's just, they were able to raise an exorbitant amount of money on a really artificially high price. Which, yes, it diluted their company, but they they took that you know since they were new shares, they took the proceeds you know for their own exactly. treasury, right? So they have it now in their books that money, which they can then you know they fortified their balance sheet. Yes, the stock goes down after they do that because there's just yep. dilution, but the reality is it was a shrewd move. Whereas GameStop, I want to say they sat on it for a long time, like just not. AMC acted yeah. very fast. GameStop, 
I don't know if they ultimately did it. I think they ultimately did a raise, but it was like they were just like observing AMC and, you know, following their playbook, but a little too late, and, I, I think. You know, in fairness to them, these are not things that are very quick and easy to spin up. Um, it's not like you can just get on the phone with Goldman and say, hey, I want to issue some new shares and get it done by the end of the week. Uh, there's there's some, some work that needs to be done. But, you know, when you see blips happen that big, they're going to figure out how to get it done pretty quick if you want them to. Um, and, you know, it's also worth calling it's- out that this goes the other way as well. You know, we hear a lot right now about share buybacks uh, where a company will go to the exactly. market and buy back shares that have been previously issued. Um, so, you know, if I own, again, I don't know why I'm picking on Amazon today, but Amazon decides that their stock is underpriced based on what they, as the managers and large shareholders, know about the stock or know about the company. They think Amazon is underpriced. They can go out to the market just like any other participant <coughs> and say, hey, I want to buy you know, your shares of Amazon. I want to buy this much Amazon and bring it back and effectively de-ish those shares. Um, And, you know, a lot of the commentary is that how evil this is and how bad this is. Um, Again, it's not. It's, you know, just the company is another market participant. There are some games that the executives can be playing around executive compensation and, you know, triggers in their contracts and stuff like that. But conceptually, it's not that big of a deal. If anything, it's just another form of dividends that's coming in the the form of, you know, the price rising. Exactly. So so think about this. If a company has $50 million of capital that they want to put to work, right, they could put it to work by R&D. You know, we're going to do some research design and we're going to go into new markets or, or whatever, right? We're going to, you know, the, the the next best thing we're going to figure out. They can put it to work by saying, you know what? We can't use this capital as, as well as our investors can individually. So we're just going to issue a $50 million dividend in aggregate, right? And give it back to everyone because that's the best use of capital relative to what we can do with it. Or they can say, we're just going to eat up maybe for tax reasons. But I, yeah, do people play games? Yes. But it, it really is a – it's just a use of capital, right? Uh, they could say, look, we're going to – as opposed to giving dividends to shareholders, we're going to just buy back stocks in the open market and that will theoretically reduce the float and increase the price that's, that's outstanding right now because of the pressures yep. involved. That benefits shareholders you know, yep. as, as well. And so, yeah, I mean, it does. You know, I, I'm not going to excuse somebody that gets fifty million dollars of government money and then tomorrow goes back and buys fifty million dollars worth of the stock. Yeah. I, I, we get that, but let's talk about the, the the usual the usual use case, if you will, which is companies. You know, they have a net present value calculation that they do for their cash. You know, for they do for their existing cash, and then they decide buy back dividends or reinvest. Yeah. You know, effectively. That's am I missing no, that's, that's pretty that's much it. Basic, you know, buy a Super Bowl ad. Sorry, buy a Super Bowl ad, buy back stock yeah. or dividends. No, absolutely, right? it's a question of if they keep the money internally. They're saying, I have you know 
comparatively good investment opportunities. I can do better than average with this money. If they don't think that's a true statement, then they're going to issue dividends. They're going to give the money back to investors in some fashion. That can be traditional cash dividends, or that can be a buyback, which is effectively stock dividends um, because they're raising the price of all of the other shareholders and also giving you know someone the opportunity just to get get out uh, if they don't want to own the share at that price. It's perfectly perfectly reasonable, and you know this is something you want to dig in more. Uh, take a look at some of the stuff Cliff Asnes over at uh, AQR has been doing. This has been his hobby horse for a while now, so there's, he's got some good stuff on it as well. Now, Bob, one of the things, and we probably theoretically we should have hit it up earlier, but from an, from a price discovery perspective. And, and I think it's good for folks to, to hear your thoughts because I, I even heard a thing on Twitter once following a, a stream and an advisor asked, why, why do, you know, should shorting be allowed? Which I found it kind of weird uh, that, you know, you, they didn't know that, you know, to, to a large extent. But what, what, what's your take on shorting? And I'm, I'm coming at it from price yeah, discovery. So let's, let's actually talk a little bit about what price discovery means before we. Yeah, and yeah. what shorting is actually because no, people may not know. three levels Sorry. deep here. Um, so the idea of price discovery <laughs> is, you know, we talked about the stock market as literally just this big room of people all yelling at each other, um, you know, buying and selling stocks. You know, that continuous auction. Um, you know, all those like movies from the eighties. You know, with the the people at the exchange yelling at each other with the phones on both sides of their faces. That was real. That was not an exaggeration. What 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 movies of the eighties are you referring to, Bob? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you like that one, Lee? It was Dan Aykroyd with the you know phone double. Trading places, okay. trading places. Mortimer, oh, yeah. we're back. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean that stuff was real. Um, and so it's people buying and selling all the time. And one of the really, really important things is that they've all got skin in the game. This is all by and large, their money. They really, really care about getting it right. And that doesn't mean they're always going to get it right. But as a group with all of these people in that same room, trying to do exactly the same thing, and crucially, disagreeing with each other um, as a group in aggregate, they're going to be bringing all of the information, all of the available information to bear. They're going to be bringing all this information and putting it into the price of each individual security. And crucially, that also includes not just like what we know about it, not like you know the company's annual reports and things like that, the factual statements – it also includes the expectations. It also includes people's guesses about what's going to be happening in the future. Yeah, and so and so to that point, look, what you're doing when you're essentially shorting, to, to answer my own question, I guess, uh, what you're doing when you're shorting, to, to spare you the, the logistics of it, you're betting mm -hmm. against the price of the stock, right? So you're betting against the price of the stock so that if it goes down, you can lose a lot of money. You can lose more so than, than it going up. You can lose yeah, – you, you can be like underwater. You can be below zero. No, it's it's you know literally I mean? inverse of so, buying a stock. It's, so yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So, so the the point that I'm just trying to make, whether it's right or wrong, is they're providing. You know, when you're buying, you're providing price discovery pressure on the upside. The other way it provides price discovery pressure on the downside, and in the middle of the two shall meet kind of thing. And so it, it's not a bad thing mm-hmm. theoretically. You know, it, it, bottom, you know, point blank. There it is, right? And it, it helps just, you know, the best disinfected is, is sunlight. And I, you know, I, I think shorting kind of yeah. has that effect yeah, sometimes think, on, on stocks. A good way if you of will. thinking about it. Oh, sorry, Alex, I'm, I apologize. Well, because I, I think you also then make a great point about not many times Bob and I agree like this. <laughs> no, but he's making a great point on the aggregate wisdom of the crowds, if you will. You know, in terms of the price discovery is based on a lot of a lot of a diverse sample of folks really providing their best estimate on what the the value of something is. And the best estimate of many, many people over and over is is significantly better than the estimate of just one observation. Uh, you know, if, if you get a time, it, you, you can explain it better than I can. That, that whole jelly bean example, I think, is yeah, a great no, one. Yeah, the, no, the jelly bean example is a, a classic one in the, at least the advisor community or our corner of the advisor community. Um, it was, I want to say it was almost 10 years ago now. I think it was the early 20-teens. Um, a, an advisor had like, you know, a client event. You know, he brought everyone together for this dinner. And at the entrance, he had this massive, massive jar of jelly beans. And, you know, he basically had, I forget what it was. It was a raffle or something uh, where it was, you know, guess the number of jelly beans and the person closest to it, you know, wins the raffle. I think it was was Wade's book. It was absolutely Wade's book. Like five years before it came out, he was, they were going to be the first person to ever get it. Um, Edición uno. <laughs> and, you know, one of the things that, you know, obviously no one is like a professional jelly bean guesser. No one can really look at this thing and, you know, be able to tell you there's 7,836 jelly beans. Uh, maybe, maybe you can, Alex, but... You know, it's, it's I've eaten that many, but <laughs> in one afternoon, absolutely. Um, yes, absolutely. So, but where I'm going with this is, is no one really has any clue. But what they found and the reason they did this was that when you aggregated all of the different guesses and, you know, the, the lowest guess was just absurdly low. The highest guess was absurdly high. But when you averaged all of those guesses together, it was off by, and I don't have the number in front of me, but I think it was like 50 jelly beans out of like almost 10,000. No one actually (laughs) can guess or can count how many jelly beans were in there. But by combining all of this information, by combining everyone's guesses, we got to effectively the right answer. And think about what that means when people actually care about the answer. Wade, I know you're. I know getting that first edition of your book is a massive, massive draw, and, and we'd all spend a ton of time <laughs> trying to get it right. But, Are you kidding? That's like the right. Mickey Mantle rookie but they, card. These people were not quite <laughs> so enlightened, uh, you know. So they were just guessing offhand. They were just taking a wild guess. In the stock market, very, very few people are taking wild guesses. 
they're doing absolutely everything they can to get that answer right. They're using all of the information available and all of the disagreements about that information. Curious if you should be looking at a Roth conversion or what a Roth conversion even is? Head over to mclaneamcom slash Roth to get McLean's free ebook, Is a Roth Conversion Right for You? And learn about when you might want to do a Roth conversion and when you might not. Just head over to mclaneamcom slash Roth to download your free ebook today. But then there's another issue too, and I think this jelly bean example, I heard it I, never in the context of a financial advisor. It's the kind of yep. classic, the wisdom of crowds the average guess turns out to be pretty accurate, but no one individual got there. But with the jelly beans, you can ultimately count up the number of jelly beans and know what the answer is. With the value of a particular company, it's not so easy to know what the Wait, objective just answer shady. is. Wait, what are you doing, man? What are you doing, Wade? What are you doing, Wade? Because it's true. There is no platonic price. There is no true value or knowable true value for any individual company. It's what people think it's worth. Um, and to use another slightly old example, um, you know, one of the, the great examples. Wait, he did say platonic price. Yeah. I just had to bring that out. He did, did. He did bring <laughs> it did. out. <laughs> uh, but one of the really, really great examples of this about expectations and differences in those expectations is Apple. Uh, from I want to say it was 2012. Um, Apple had, you know, the fourth quarter that year, they had, I believe it was the second best quarter that any company has ever had up to that point in time. They announced it. And the next day, Apple stock price dropped by 10%, which is when I give you that set of information, pretty counterintuitive. You know, when someone, when a company has the second best quarter ever, you would expect that their stock price, the value of the company would rise, but it didn't. It dropped by a lot because the expectation would be those profits, those numbers would be even better. Everyone had built those numbers, those types of numbers into their expectations into how they were valuing Apple. And when we got those numbers back, when we got those, you know, not so great second best quarter of a company ever back, everyone had to lower their estimates of what Apple was worth. And, you know, that really drives at how all of this stuff fits. You know, when we get new information, it's not about the information in and of itself whether it's good or bad or whatever it happens to be, it's how it squares with what was expected to happen. And that, I think that's really the basis of the expression, yes. a random walk down Wall Street, or the idea that the stock market follows a random walk, that the price right now incorporates the expectations and beliefs of all the market players. And if if you believe the price will go up, you go long. Yes. You you purchase the asset. If you believe the price will go down, you have the potential to go short. And, I, I, I and would, maybe that people just think that's a bet against capitalism. But then once everyone makes those decisions, it's only the unknown. We don't know what the news will be. 
the unknown is what then drives the next price movement. And if that expectation was that Apple was going to have an even better quarter and it didn't, that's where the new information is, oh, this is not as highly valued as the aggregate kind of average person in that market thought it would be. Alex, you were about to say something? I was kind of being nitpicky, but I I don't know. I I was kind of in my head when Wade made the statement – you know, if you believe Apple pri- Apple's price will go up, you go long, and there's a there's a caveat to that. I I I I, I or if you're a long term investor, <laughs> yeah, kind of right. I know I'm and, being nitpicky here. I, I, and I, 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 I you know, I, we'll get to that it's later. More, it, it's more uh, the statement of uh, it. I don't want you to think you go, and I, I know you don't mean this. It's not that you'll go long because there's an arbitrage because technically you feel the value right now is being underpriced. The value of Apple is underpriced relative to known information. I think you're saying Apple will go up, you'll go long because Apple participates in capitalism and, you know, they're going to continue to make earnings. They're going to continue to, you know, things will continue to go along the path of a normal economic environment and you just don't mean apple like Mm -hmm. just buy one stock and let it ride using apple as an example of that that's kind of what i want to make sure term investor you believe markets will grow and therefore you want to be long you want to own a stake in the overall economy to benefit yeah and and obviously you want to diversify away from one stock etc 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 but But that's for another time that's that was my thing it's also worth calling out for the short-term investor the person who thinks they can beat the market you know, why they would be going out and buying Apple or selling Apple or shorting Apple or whatever it might happen to be be in that particular case. You know, if I'm someone who, you know, is doing fundamental analysis and I'm saying, you know, hey, I think Apple is worth more. Let's say Apple's trade. I have no clue what Apple's trading at. Apple's trading at $200 right now. If I think, well, no, I've run the numbers and I think that's actually $220. Well, I'm going to go in and buy as much Apple as I possibly can within you know the confines of my portfolio because Apple is on sale. Apple is cheaper than it should be. And my expectation would be the market would come up to it, Apple's true value. Now, we'll, in a few episodes, we'll start talking about why you might not want to do that. Um, but that's the logic inherent in the, in, in the market. And by buying up Apple, by buying shares of Apple, again, remember, we're just in an auction setting. I'm sending a signal to the market. Apple's underpriced. I'm pushing the price of Apple up by going out and buying Apple. Conversely, if I think Apple is overpriced, I think it's, say, worth $160. I'm going to go out and sell Apple at $200 because, well, shoot, it's $40 more than I think it should be. So I'm going to, well, I'm going to go pocket that money before the market starts coming down. Um, and I'm at that point pushing the price of Apple down with those sales. That's the magic of the market. That's that price discovery mechanism that every time I do something, I'm influencing what the price of that security is. I'm When I think it's undervalued and I go and buy, I'm pushing the market up. I'm pushing the price up. When I think it's overvalued and sell, I'm pushing the price down. And with enough people, even though we talked about how massive these markets are, but with enough people who are doing the same thing and making those same sets of decisions, again, with slightly different sets of information, 
you know, the market converges on at least a reasonable assumption for what those prices are or should be. It's it's not and we're getting to this in the arc, but, I, you know, it doesn't matter peppering it now. It's not too different than the spread between a football game and Vegas. You know, in, in which the spread, the first day there's a matchup, it's such and such, information starts coming out, injury reports, whatever. It starts tightening. It starts moving around based on the, the you know, the, the, the tilts of the of the spread, you know. Yeah. And, you know, come game day, it's the best estimate of people that are actually putting their money down. And you don't and you don't you don't win the bet by just saying the Patriots are going to win or the Dolphins are going to win or anything. It's you got to you got to hit the you got to hit the spread, if you will. And so, you know, that that translates to prices. The prices are that sort of expectation. And over time, you know, if you think you're finding something that the market hasn't, I, I you know, good luck. I mean, listen, I, I, I want to bring this up because we could mm-hmm. say all of this. Right. And at the end of us talking and I think we're wrapping it up soon. So at the end of us talking. Somebody listening in will have this, and one of my friends, you know, I'm on, you know, a group chat, if you will. Literally, I get this. It wasn't intended to me. They don't ask me anymore. <laughs> but, but it's really Palo Alto or CrowdStrike or both or neither as stocks to buy, right? And then the response by somebody is, you know who you are if you're listening and you're a buddy of mine. Now, uh, both solid companies that are doing well in cloud storage and cybersecurity. Why they are only trading at seven to eight times. My concern with both are customer retention, given they rely on subscribers. Their growth over the last four quarters isn't sustainable, and I'm not convinced the market has realistic expectations. One trick ponies with limited lines of revenues. Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Intel, Disney, etc. have multiple lines of revenues. By the way, Amazon and Google have been penalized lately, and you may see some spikes there. Okay. Wait, so which is it, Wait, Palo Alto or CrowdStrike? <laughs> no, but... Yeah, that's just where if you don't... What, what's your reaction? Can you do better than the aggregate? <laughs> well, I just don't get into the trying to guess individual stock direction. No, but I, I think this is important from the sense of what we want to do today, which is how the stock market works. Within that context, you know, what what... How would you respond? Because I can't respond to my buddies anymore in a manner that they're like, oh, it's just Alex being Alex, you know, kind of thing. How would you respond, Bob? I would say, to, in, a, in a real, yeah, real in way a real now. Way, I would How say would you, what would you that say? The fact that we're talking about this type of information means that it doesn't matter from an investing standpoint. That information, those worries about client retention and all that type of stuff, that's already in the price. That information has already been included in, you know, the price of Palo Alto and, you know, every other company out there. So what I'm worried about is the stuff we're not talking about. If I was to try and go out and, you know, pick a company to buy, I'd be worried about, you know, all of the information we don't know, all the information that isn't in the market. And unfortunately, that also means all of the information I don't have, Um, you know, so if you give me two companies, I am, you know, absent some of the things we're going to talk about later on, I'm indifferent between two companies. I would say buy them both and buy everything else. I would say buy Palo Alto because CrowdStrike had a Super Bowl commercial. Ah, but that's just Well, me. then that's just everything. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> well, 
weighed your saying. And what you were describing with that comment, you could see where there was a sense of recognizing that there is an overall market because they're saying things like, uh, I don't think the I don't think the other market participants are truly under yeah. pricing in or under I don't forget the exact word yeah, in there, yeah, yeah. but it was a sense that I know more than the aggregate participants of the market and that's rarely going to be the case in real life is all I can really say about that. <laughs> yeah, no, but the reality is look, the market so in in a, in a general sense, how would you define the market then, Bob? When see when you when if I the same way I asked you what is a toilet? How does yeah, it work? The market is you know, elevator conversation. How, what is the market? Yeah, the market is just the aggregate group of people buying and selling securities, buying and selling stocks, little slivers of ownership in a company, buying and selling bonds, which are just, again, loans. Um, and that's all it is. It's nothing more complicated than that. It's just a bunch of people in a room trading stuff. My my go to is always it's it's a mechanism for financing. Wait, all right, no, I think that nails it. And yeah, we we are running on the long side here, so we should wrap up. And this is part of an arc, so we're going to continue with this series in the coming weeks. Uh, week two, in particular, of this series will be more on why do you invest. We, we may have touched that on uh, touched upon that a little bit this week, but we'll dig into that in more depth in the next episode. So thanks everyone for listening and we'll catch you next time on retire with style. And thank you, Bob, for being our guest this week. Great. And in thank the you guys as well. Wade and Alex are both principals of McLean asset management and retirement researcher. Both are sec registered investment advisors located in Tyson's Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with a risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results.